good morning. Good morning to those of you here in the Modern Worship Service. Good morning to those of you over there in the Worship Center. And good morning to you who are watching online uh, this morning. It is spring break week here uh, in the upstate, so a lot of folks are traveling. We have a... Um, student team of 25 and five leaders, total of 30 over in uh, Nicaragua today. And so we've just been watching them on social media get over there. And so, uh, but a lot of families are uh, traveling this week. Maybe some of you will travel this week. I encourage you to come back if you can, if you can be here for our Friday uh, afternoon service. It starts at uh, 12 o'clock at noon. Good Friday service. I, I promise you this. It will be a meaningful time for you, for your wife, for your husband, for your family. Bring somebody with you. Maybe they are going to go to another congregation, another church on Easter Sunday, but yet Friday, Good Friday service is always a special, special time. We take the Lord's Supper, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. Please invite somebody. Please be thinking. Please say, who is not here that would be willing if I just made an invite? If I just said, hey, come with me, and um, maybe, maybe, for lunch. Maybe that's something you could do to bless them, generously give to them. Uh, who is it that's not here that you know for sure God would love to see them and perhaps you are the tool uh, for God to speak to them. So be thinking about that throughout the week. And so we look forward uh, to Easter Sunday as well, our regular schedule for that. I want to show you a video real quickly and here's what I want to do. I'll set it up. Uh, it is with one of our ladies, uh, with a wonderful gal named Carly who has experienced what it means to go through our single mom's oil change. She has a, an incredible story. And so I do it for two reasons. One, to again remind you of the impact that you are making. And really, as I thanked you last week for what was an incredible week, 140 Carly's coming through the single mom's oil change. You volunteers was thanking you. But I wanted you to see the other side of that. And I wanted you to understand the impact you are making through that. And then secondly, I want you to listen for words like difficult or hard or weight, the thought of a burden that they're carrying. And we're going to talk about that today as well. But let's roll this video and I want you to see what God is doing in this one person's life. Hi, I'm Carly Gould, and um, I started going to the single mom oil changes, I think maybe around 2011. I was a stay-at-home mom, and I had plans to homeschool. I came here for Bethmore Bible Studies. Um, I had a garden, <laughs> so many things. I became a single mom in the summer of 2009, um, became divorced in 2010. Um, 2011, um, started court and remained in court and had um, appointment after appointment after appointment for five years straight. I felt very much alone, like um, it was me and God and um, I prayed a lot and I had no idea how long this, was this process was gonna go. I became the provider. Um, I started substitute teaching, then I and I was on food stamps. Um, so I was familiar with going to different places to get assistance because I truly needed it. And then I became a half-time teacher. Um, and now I've been a full-time teacher for a few years. 
Um, but it's been quite a process. The oil change itself is a really unique ministry because as a single mom, I think that um, maintenance of car maintenance and home maintenance kind of falls to the side because it's really uh, time's an issue, money's an issue. I think it is a genuine need for me and other single moms and was a, a need for me um, to have during that hard time to have anonymous people that I could talk to uh, because the burden was so heavy it wasn't something that I was able to explain or um, it was not an easy thing it wasn't something that somebody was gonna be able to relate to but I needed prayer um, and I needed to be able to share that with someone and so that was that was a helpful thing to be able to see someone ask them for prayer I'm just really appreciative to Taylor's uh, I genuinely want them to know what it means to me personally to have that Taylor's has something for single moms I'm not as in need as I have been in the past um, but there's been times where I have felt like, where are the single moms in church? Do the single moms go to church? And so when a church has something for single moms, to me it says that they care uh, because that is such a large portion of our society. Um, and I just want to say thank you and I'm very appreciative. Thank you, Carly, for sharing that. And if you're a single mom here, we do care. <laughs> if you're from a family that uh, doesn't look like the traditional family, uh, doesn't meet expectations of the culture, we do care. And we care through things like the single mom oil change. And I love so much her honesty about how difficult, how hard it has been. And we've all been there in some way or another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about suffering today and the difficulty of, of walking through things. And we're going to watch Jesus do it because this is where we are in our study in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to watch Jesus as we've sung about this morning in all of our services about coming into Jerusalem and Palm Sunday. Turn to Luke chapter 22 while I'm setting this up for you. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read a few verses together. Then we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 26 and get a more amplified uh, a, a version of this story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what an incredible Sunday it must have been to see Jesus come riding or come walking down this hill, been down a hill like it. I don't know if that was the specific hill, the specific road, the specific path that you walked down, but it was a beautiful Sunday morning like today. And it was, uh, we had a service. We had our Sunday morning worship time on the top of the Mount of Olives and we made our way down this hill. You could see Jerusalem. Can you imagine Jesus as he's thinking about this and he gets on a donkey that they had prepared for him and he begins to ride into Jerusalem. And I mean, the crowds just explode and there's just noise and there's just singing and there's shouting and, and they're taking the, the tradition of of taking branches and, and throwing them down on the road so that the king can, can come in. And what they're doing is recognizing Jesus for who he said he was. And, and, and he is the Messiah, the anointed one. And, and for all of those crowds that had packed into Jerusalem there, there was this incredible outpouring of emotion and honor and praise and glory at the beginning of Passion Week, which starts that Sunday when Jesus walks in, when he rides in. What an incredible scene that must have been. I hope, I hope there are DVRs in heaven because I want to see it. I want to see that scene, don't you? just want to see it. And Passion Week 
begins when he comes riding in. And passion, that word passion can mean so many different things. If you look it up in the dictionary, there are a couple of angles to this word passion. One is, maybe as those crowds, there was just uncontrollable, strong emotion. If you wanted an example of passion, you should have been at my house Monday night when the University of North Carolina won the national championship. There was uncontrolled emotion that night. I was screaming like a little girl, all right? No offense to you little girls, but I was screaming, jumping up and down. It was, it was just passion that just poured out. There's another passion that we think about, and that is romance or, or love, that there's a sense when we talk about passion, you have a passion for somebody else, right? There's another sense. Uh, there's a, a deep desire, a deep drive in your life to, to do something. Over time, some of you have developed a passion for certain things. It's outdoors. It's beautiful. You go gardening. Maybe you like to build things. Maybe you like to fish. Man, you, you, you know all about, some, some of you love to read, you love books, you love certain genres in, in books, and I can tell when, when I speak to you, it just kind of oozes out of you. You've read all the books, you've, read, you've listened to uh, the authors, you've watched the documentaries, you, you've seen everything, and it just oozes out of you, this, this idea of passion. But when Jesus comes riding in with all of the great emotion that accompanies Palm Sunday, it quickly goes away. Now he's teaching throughout the week. For the next five days, he's going to be teaching in the temple. They're going to be listening to him. At night, he goes up to the Mount of Olives and he comes back into Jerusalem. For five days, he's going to do this. But that passion goes away and we get to the heart of really what the word passion means. It's from a Latin word that means simply to suffer. So when we talk about the Passion Week, or the Passion of the Christ. You remember Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. Really, what we're saying is that this begins the suffering of the Christ. And the passage that we're going to read this morning, and the passage that we're going to try and open up, and we're going to try and see Jesus. Here's our goal this morning. We want to see Christ with our minds and with our souls and with our hearts. I want you to come face to face with him this morning. And I want you to understand this simple thought, that Jesus shares in your difficulty and hardship and suffering. He shares that with you. But beyond that, he has come to suffer so that he can save you from your sin and from your suffering. He both shares in your suffering and dies to save us from the suffering of sin. And so this morning, let's go ahead and read this passage. Let's jump right in. Luke chapter 22 this morning. And out of respect and reverence for the word of God, if you have your place, will you please stand with me as we read the scriptures and as we begin to see Jesus there in what was an incredibly lonely time, lonely, dark, sorrowful, the joy of Sunday was now the darkness of Thursday night. And listen to what it says. And he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated this morning. Here's what we want to do. Let me give you an outline here. We're going to make a simple statement, and then we're going to follow it with some things that will help you, I pray, because they've helped me this week. Things that you can turn to, things that you can specifically do as you go through a difficult time, as you go through a period of suffering. And here's the statement if you're taking notes. It's this, that Jesus identifies with you in your suffering so that you might better know him. That's the goal. That's the goal of Jesus going to the garden is to suffer for our sin, but to suffer so that we ultimately might know him. And we can't know him unless the sin problem is dealt with. And once the sin problem is dealt with on the cross, we can come to the father. But as we come to the father, the goal of our lives then becomes to be and know, to be like Jesus and to know him and to know him. Jesus is suffering greatly here. I can't overstate that fact enough. It's almost as if Jesus is on one side of a river and there's a bridge and he, he's trying to get to the other side of the river. And on this side of the river, here's his ministry. Here's his life. Here's his teaching. Here's his preaching. And on this side of the river, here's what we see of Jesus. We see his great power over nature, over demons. We see his great power to heal. We hear his great teaching. We hear his authority. We hear the way that he disputes the religious leaders in the temple. He brings with him this sense of from heaven and just by the nature of him being this charismatic, powerful teacher, how he commands his words and he speaks from God. We see him with great courage. He's this amazing leader as he's launching what is not really a new way. It's a continuation from the Old Testament, but we don't recognize that. So, so he's trying to change things. He, he's introducing new things, and he has great courage. And he stands in there with great conviction and with, with his mind and his heart set on inaugurating this new kingdom. And we see him with great power and authority and control and charisma on this side of the river. But when he climbs up on this bridge before he goes to the cross and he leaves behind his ministry, he's now about to enter into a new phase, which is the cross and his resurrection and his leaving his disciples. When he sees the cross ahead and he's on top of that bridge, it suddenly hits him. Or maybe not suddenly, but he suddenly expresses how incredibly difficult this is going to be. How hard, how sorrowful, how painful.
painful getting over this bridge to the cross is going to be. Now, why? Why is that? Why is that? I want you to see the emotion of Jesus here, just so you can capture it. Turn over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Luke gives us a very scrubbed down version. He just says there's disciples there. He tells them to pray. He goes and he kneels down and pray. And then he comes back to the disciples in their circle. Matthew's going to open it up a little bit because Matthew's there. All right. Matthew is there. He's somewhere in the vicinity of Jesus. And he gives us a little bit more information and emotion with it. And I want you to read with me Matthew chapter 26 in verse 36. And listen to what he says. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. So this is a garden. This is a garden just on the other side of Jerusalem. It's a place, Luke says, that as was their custom. So this is a place where Jesus and his disciples would go. Maybe it was a debrief. Maybe it was a prayer time. Maybe it was just a relaxing time. This is a garden filled with these large olive trees. And it was literally, Gethsemane means an olive press. It was literally where they would take the olives from these enormous trees, hundreds and hundreds of years old, and they would press the olives into olive oil. So this was the source of that. But this was headquarters, if you will, for Jesus. And now suddenly they're going to come to this garden. And he says to the disciples, keep reading verse 26, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. So that's James and John, the three fishermen. And he begins, here it is, to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Will you remain here and watch or stay awake with me? And going just a little bit further, so he leaves the three behind, he falls on his face and prays, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, I can't overstate it enough. He is filled with such deep sorrow. And he is ready to suffer to the point where he doesn't know if he's going to make it over the bridge. Even to death, it says. He is so filled with the pain of what's to come. He doesn't know if he's going to make it to the point where he says, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to go over this bridge. Can we do this any other way? Why is that? Jesus, this cup that he has to drink, it, it was a symbol from the Old Testament of this concoction in a cup. The prophets talked about it of sin and of shame and of guilt. And because of that, the wrath and judgment of God is going to be poured into this cup. And the father is going to look at the son and say, drink it. Drink all my wrath. I'm separated from you because of the sins of people, because of the weight of their sin. Drink it. Every last drop. And he's separated from the father and the, and, and the weight of your sin and my sin will be on him. He knows that the anger of God, he's never seen the wrath of his father turn towards him. And now the wrath against evil and sin is directed towards him. It's as if a son looks up at his father and he doesn't recognize him. 
what are you doing? All of this is coming. The physical violence. Oh, he knows. Growing up in Nazareth, he knows. He's seen crosses. He's seen the Romans execute people on crosses before. Nearby. He knows. Here it comes. The humiliation, the shame publicly. I mean, Jesus on this side of the bridge has been, has been rejected. He, you know, he, he gets that. But not like this. And he doesn't know if he's going to make it. I think deep down inside, he, he questions. This is his humanity coming out. You might say, how does that work? Jesus, the son of God. This is his humanity coming out and identifying with you. Remember point number one? He is identifying with you so that when you go through all of those things, you might say, I know him better. Because here's the reality. Our suffering... Sometimes is the only way that we can come face to face with Jesus. What, what are you suffering over? I sat down this week and I began to type. And here's my question. Why do the people of Taylor's First Baptist Church suffer? And I started going through just a whole list of things. And death is certainly one of them. Widows here at, at Taylor's that I've sat in their homes. And I've had... One sweet lady looked at me and said, we've been married 60 years and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Uncertain that there's death, that there's tragedy. There's just not death of those that are older. There's tragedy shared with you a few Saturdays ago. The way of having of this family of having to bury one child at Woodlawn Cemetery. A child that was born dead but that very same night up in the hospital with a mom and with a dad tearfully saying goodbye to their little baby boy just a few weeks old they're suffering there there's prolonged illnesses among some of you there's cancer that is is taking years of your life away you you fear i, I took my son yesterday to the hospital with me for a visit and we were walking through the hallways of the hospital. It was relatively quiet on a Saturday morning and you know how some of the doors are open and you could look inside and you could see some of the people that were there just sleeping and um, we get out in the parking lot and my son is quiet and I just say to him, what are you thinking? Because I, I don't know if I, I've ever taken him up in the hospital like, like that before and he says, that's a really sad place. I said, it is. He says, it's like people are dying. I said, yeah. And, and I tried, you know, tried to put a good spin on it, you know, trying to protect them. Hey, babies are born there. It can be an exciting place. When I was a little boy, I had my tonsils yanked out. Dad's okay, right? You know, knee replacement surgery for all these athletes. Where do they go to the hospital? But the reality is that there is suffering with prolonged illnesses. There's suffering with seasons of loneliness. Some of you are going through a season where you are incredibly lonely for any number of reasons. Maybe um, here's another reason you've been rejected and it's been incredibly hurtful. So you have withdrawn. There is, there are severed relationships. There are shattered expectations. I had one guy come up to me after the second service and he, he said, as you just shared with people, it, it seemed as if you were trying to hit on where people were. He says, where, 
where, where do you think you are, your, your age group, and with families? And I said, probably there are a lot of families who are in great despair because of the expectations that are being unmet, the expectations of their career, of their family, of their marriage, of their children. And there are a lot of people who are suffering because you thought it was going to be this way, but it's that way, and you don't know how to get out. And it's kind of like you're in a washing machine cycle, and you can't get out of that despair. I think that's where some of you are. I get that. I don't know what you're suffering through or suffering with this morning. Maybe it's the, the sins of those that you love. Maybe it's prodigal children. You know what? In a church this size, there are, are children, there are prodigals, and you don't talk about it much. You don't share openly about it much, but yet your heart every day, your, every single day, your heart just suffers. And when Jesus goes to the garden and he kneels down and he prays, he is looking towards Good Friday and the cross so that we can be brought to God. And some of you, this is the message of your suffering. You, you're on the outside. You, you're not a, a, a son or a daughter of God because you've never really embraced the work of the cross to begin with. You've never had your sins forgiven entirely by, by Jesus and his work. You've never just surrendered your life. You've never just given everything inside and just said, here, Jesus, here it is. And he's exchanged his, his grace and forgiveness for you. Some of you have never done that. Perhaps this message is pointing towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The power of the gospel is for you this morning. But for some of you, here is the message. That in the garden, Jesus knows that when you weep, and you put your head down, you put your face down, and you cry on that pillow at night, and you don't know where to go, I want you to understand this amazing fact, that Jesus identifies with you so that you might know him that's the goal of christianity it's not for my marriage to work out or my children to work out i hope they do but my goal is to know jesus and sometimes suffering does that paul said it this way philippians chapter 3 verse 10 he said I i'll give up everything everything will be lost everything will be done everything i'll just give it up so that i might know him I might know him in the power of his resurrection and I might share in his sufferings. The message says that I might partner with him in his suffering. So here's what I want you to see this morning as Jesus kneels down in the garden and he pours his heart out. He's identifying with you. Okay, so where does that leave us? What do we do then? What do we do? Second thing, run with desperate honesty to the Father. This is what Jesus does. He runs into the presence of God. Here's what will happen in your life if you're not there already. The circumstances are going to overwhelm you. The burdens are going to come. The weight, like Carly was talking about, became so much that you can't even bear it anymore. So here's your choice, okay? You can either run away from God feeling bitter, feeling angry or entitled. It's not going your way. And under your breath, you might not say it to God, but under your breath, as you move away from him, you're saying, God isn't treating me fairly. And you move away. That's one choice. The other choice is what Jesus did. He runs into the presence of his father. The one who's going to look away from him. The one that's just going to unload and let loose his wrath upon him. He's going to run to him. Because he ultimately knows his father is still in control. 
doesn't look that way, but he's ultimately still in control. He's going to run with desperate honesty to him. He's going to open up his heart to him, and he's just going to say, Father, now, now we, we might not say this, right? We, we might not say if there is any other way because we want to be good soldiers, put on the straight face and do what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus doesn't do that. He says something that surprises us. We kind of look at that and go, really, Jesus? If there's any other way? Father, if you are willing, one gospel writer says, one of the other gospel writers says, Father, it's a de declaration. All things are possible. I, I know you can make this cup suffering go away. And I can go around it and you can redeem the world another way. All things are possible. You are in complete control. So I'm going to run to you, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to do this. Can, can, can I go another way? Please. Three times. Three times. Matthew's version. Three times. He comes to the disciples and they're sleeping. He goes back. Cries out even more. Comes back again to the disciples. For a third time he goes back. And three times Matthew says, he says these words. Is there any other way? Run to God with honesty. Run to him with honesty. I like what one writer says. Jesus is not angry. He's not stoic. He's not withdrawn. He's not empty of hope. He is simply honest with God. Have you been there? Where you're pouring out your heart to him and the words come out. I can't do this. I don't know how to make it through this. I don't have what it takes. I am at the bottom and there's nowhere to go. Here's it. This is where Jesus is. Any other way. Run though. Run to the Father with desperate honesty. I thought of this this morning as I was going through getting ready to preach to you this morning. And I love this fact because I've been here. And I've run to the Father with desperate honesty. And here's what I've, I've concluded. That you cannot come and find quiet dependency upon the Father, unless you run to him with desperate honesty. There is no quiet dependency upon him unless there is desperate honesty with him. Third thing, here's why, quickly. Recognize that your personal preference often pushes against God's design. Now here's where the tension is going to be in our suffering, in our difficulty. Jesus' preference would be to do it another way. Your preference might be to do it another way. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't do it God's way. And you're going to get set on your way, your expectation, your plan, your timing. You're going to get set on that way. Your timing to get out of the difficulty you're in now. Your personal preference. But recognize this, that oftentimes your preference is going to push hard against what God has designed. This is God's will. This is God's way for Jesus to walk through the cross. This isn't easy. And as he's looking over the bridge, God says, Jesus, I hear you, but no. You're going to go through the cross. Jesus, I recognize this is hard. But the answer is no, because this is my design. It's been the design from the beginning that someone come and a, and a lamb be slain that symbolically because of the sacrifices of the old covenant that someone would come and give up their innocent life. Jesus, 
No. And here's my design. And I want you to go through this. This is hard for many of you to see. It's hard for us to perceive sometimes God's design because it's so difficult because we'd rather do it a different way. We see things a different way. It reminds me of these paintings. I read this week about these paintings. These famous painters in the past would would put together and they would often put like numbers or they would put images or they put faces or they put words inside of these famous paintings that no one would discern or perceive for a long, long time. Take, for instance, a picture I want to show you now, the, the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. They found a few years ago that da Vinci, when he painted this painting, famous one that you have seen a thousand times, that as he's painting this, he, he wanted to do something else. He wanted to put in something that maybe he's the only one who could see, but it was a design that was near and dear to his heart. So in the Last Supper, when you see the loaves and the food that are on the table there, as you see it spread out on the table, and as you look at the hands of the apostles or of the disciples and the hands of Jesus, here is someone who is very musically insightful noticed that if you were to take a scale, a music scale, and put it over the portrait, and reading from right to left, taking the hands and the food, there would be notes on the scale that would create a song written on behalf of Christ. It's a beautiful story. No one could see it. No one could perceive it. They said they, they didn't notice it for a long, long time because da Vinci would, would often do things from right to left instead of from left to right. They didn't understand it. It just seemed awkward. It seemed different. He's a painter, but he was also a musician. And this is how God works through your suffering sometimes. You don't see it. You don't perceive it, but the designer is wiring in it an incredible, beautiful song that oftentimes he only knows, but ultimately it will produce an incredible song of praise and glory as you come through the suffering. The fourth thing, invite others into your suffering with you. Now, this is part of this story that I find interesting. We're not going to dwell on it for too long, but invite others with you. He comes to Peter and he comes to James. He comes to John and he says to them, I want you to get up. I want you to stay awake and I want you to pray. And their eyes are so heavy because of all they've been through that day. Because of the last supper, Jesus had just been in the upper room. They'd just come across. Jesus had just told Judas, go do what you're going to do. Betray me. They've been through a lot. It's been a busy week. Maybe they're sensing here it comes and they just can't make it. They fall asleep. And that's when Jesus, when he comes back to him, he says, listen, guys, get up. I, I, I need your help. I need you to pray with me. I need you to support me. W will you enter into this with me? And they can't do it. That's when Jesus says, but the spirit is willing and the flesh, though, is so weak. That's what he says in Matthew's version. You desire to do this with your heart and with your mind, but your body just can't do it. Do you ever feel like that? I feel like that on Sunday morning sometimes when I get up. I get up early Sunday morning. The spirit is willing, but the flesh this morning was incredibly weak. It took a while to get going. Jesus knows our human nature. And so he's giving us a couple of things. One, he's reminding us your flesh is weak. So as you go through suffering, he tells them, get up, stay awake, 
pray lest you fall into this testing. What testing? To stay awake with you, Jesus, here? Yes, but he also knows that when the cross comes, they're going to see it. And their test is going to be, will I stand with Jesus? Will I walk through this way of the cross with Jesus? Will I pick up my cross and follow Jesus? Will I deny myself? Will I push personal preferences aside for the for the will of God and Jesus knows this is going to be a test to them and so he says pray your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak and the second thing though I think Jesus is going through a period of loneliness and he's inviting somebody in do you see why community is so important here at Taylor's because some of you are going through things and no one knows and you are walking through things and it's quiet and it's under the radar And we see you come in and we see you go out. We see you come in. We never see some of you again. And deep down inside, you have never, ever invited someone to walk with you and to come in with you through this. So be willing to invite others into your suffering as Jesus did. Final thing this morning. Here's the last point. Allow suffering to do its work of transformation. Be patient. Endure through it. Just as James says, let it have its way. Let it have its work. Let it continue to the end. And you don't know how long that's going to be. But God's design in the painting has an ending to it. And he is ready to bring you through to a glorious end. But at the time, it hurts. At the time, you don't think it's ever going to end. Allow suffering to do its work of transformation. Jesus did so because at the beginning, there was the Garden of Eden where sin came in and corrupted the world. And hundreds and thousands of years prior to that, God had a plan and he was allowing suffering to work its way to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would put an end to sin and despair. First Peter 1 talks about allowing suffering to work so that it proves the genuineness of your faith. If you're wondering, am I a follower of Jesus? Here's one way that you can know for sure. That when I walk through a difficulty or suffering, not because of my sin, Peter says, but because this is a hard challenge, I come out on the other side with my faith genuinely looking to God. First Peter chapter 1. James 1 talks about it. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. The New Testament is filled with this understanding that as you walk through a time of suffering, allow it to finish its work. Allow the, the difficulty to press into you to produce what God wants to you wants for you and I see Jesus here as he's kneeling and he's praying and he's in agony and he's being crushed and his spirit's being suffocated out from him will this end father it reminds me of of what is done right there in the garden it's an olive press they would take olives from these large olive trees and they would they would put them in these stone basins and over the top of the stone over the top of the stone basin would be a wheel stone wheel 
that stone wheel would come down and it would press and crush those olives. And they would take a donkey. They would attach it to the wheel. And as those olives remain there on the bottom, and as that stone begins to set down in it, that donkey begins to slowly turn and make its way around that stone, and it crushes and it grinds up those olives. And they might take the excess a little bit and just for extra measure put it under another heavy stone and another weight so that Those olives, as they're crushed, produce slowly, seeping out from under those stones, this valuable olive oil. It was this commodity that the people loved and the commodity that the people needed. And it was expensive because it was hard to go through this process. But seeping out from under these stones is this oil that is dripping down that was so valuable. And they would come and they would gather up that oil. And it's a process that takes a long time. It's a process that demands patience. It's a process that demands pain and endurance. But it's a process that Jesus went through to bring us through on the other side. And it's a process that transforms. If you want to get from point A to point B in the Christian life, more than likely, It's not going to be by the way of prosperity. It's going to be by the way of suffering. How will you allow suffering to work in your life? I pray. Listen. I pray you have seen the man in the garden. I pray you've seen Jesus on his face in agony, enduring And then getting up and saying to those disciples throughout that suffering, let's go. The battle was won. The The battle was won really before he was put on the cross. The battle was won when he gets up and he's run to his father and he's opened up his heart to his father. His father said, no, but I have a design. Trust me. And he said, okay. This is going to end well. It's going to be hard, but it's going to end well. Let's go. And when he does, oh, what a beautiful day. What a beautiful day Easter Sunday is. But the battle was won on his face in the garden. How will you respond this morning to Jesus? Will you pray with me? In both rooms, I'm simply going to lead us through a prayer. And then we'll have our our time of commitment, our our time where we can respond. But I, I simply want, as we're still here together collectively, for for you to pray and for you to have an opportunity just to sit or maybe to kneel right where you are. And to open up your heart before God. This is a a time to prepare for Good Friday. and, And then for Easter and to walk with Jesus. But this is a time for you this morning.
maybe as you've walked in and you're struggling for you to kneel down, at least in your heart, and to look to your left in your mind's eye and to see him sweating and bleeding in agony for you. For you to recognize you're not alone because of Christ, but also to recognize that he would get up and go to the cross and open up a way for you to know that there is going to be a glorious end one day and you can rejoice. So as I kneel here, maybe you want to kneel in both rooms. Maybe you're at home. I'm just simply going to pray for you and for us that we would see Christ this week and it would change your life. Father, we pray that in our difficulty and in our hardship, Lord, we pray that we would not lose perspective and be overwhelmed and overcome by despair and sorrow but instead we would take this truth away that Jesus has come to share in sufferings and therefore we partner with him in that. That this way of suffering is not something that is just happenstance. It's not something that has just occurred haphazardly, but instead, Father, it is your way of us, as we saw last week, of picking up our cross. And Father, help us to push aside ourselves and to see your design and to see your son and to see the cross cross and to see the power of the empty tomb and to declare it is well. It is okay. Father, I pray for your people and I pray for this body that it would be transformed by the way of the cross and that your people would be transformed by the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the guide as he leads us through this way moving towards the cross and the glory of the empty tomb so hear our prayer father on behalf of your people we pray in jesus name